Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon too fast. Greg executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound. Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Take the center run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. To be no good. Welcome to Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell here, as always, with Carter Thompson and Mark Margolis. We're recording this on Monday night, um, but it should come out sometime tomorrow. And it's been a very exciting week for Penn Athletics, so we're very excited to get into it. Um, we're going to be talking about basketball, lacrosse, especially men's lacrosse, had a huge game, and um, all kinds of other exciting stuff. And today, uh, our special guest is Brevin Fleischer. Yes, sir. Um, he's a senior sports reporter for the Daily Pennsylvanian, former sports editor, and uh, he'll be talking with us about all sorts of stuff, but especially lacrosse, where he is the head beat um, this spring. Yep, yep. <coughs> so, Brevin, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having um, me, Carter. You know, let's, let's get into the men's basketball game and that really big win over Harvard. Um, sitting at lone, sole first place in the Ivy League, Big stuff. Big things. Big stuff. <laughs> Let's <f-ing> go. <laughs> but uh, I mean, oh, wow. I mean, that that game was back and forth. I that was probably the best Penn Athletics event I've gone to, if I'm gonna be honest. I did not. To be fair, did not go to the lacrosse yeah, upset over Duke. I did not. I'm, I'm saying. I clarify. It's the event that I've gone to. And I mean the game that uh, that AJ Broder had, um, you know that was our that was probably one of his best performances of the season. You have Darnell Foreman uh, going out on top of senior night, and Sam Jones, former starter, his sophomore and a little bit his freshman year, scored his first points of the Ivy season on an early three uh, to start the game. So a lot of big things happened in the game over Harvard. Uh, so what were your guys' thoughts watching the game? Yeah, I mean. Uh Darnell had a great game right after we wrote a big centerpiece story about him. So I think we can take a little bit of credit for inspiring him with confidence. A lot of credit, you know, so you're (laughs) welcome to the Penn men's basketball team for that. I mean, to be fair, though, the Daily Pennsylvanians also cursed other players. Well, maybe he's broken the curse. I think we've atoned for it now. Maybe we've atoned for it. We are no longer the Madden curse. Right. I'm not going to name which players we've cursed because we want to maybe have them on our segment one day. But I have cursed a player before with one of my articles. (laughs) But uh, not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Well, so I don't know. I was making the joke during the game since we started uh, a lot of the seat. We started uh, Sam Jones, Caleb Wood, Matt McDonald, three non-starters. And I was gonna say this is probably gonna be the best bench performance of the season, considering we're bringing off Bentley, Woods, Rothschild, uh, and then Goodman and Silpy, who have played their regular roles. Um, I mean, it, it, it was all it was all very encouraging, and the best part about it is that we're gonna play on, we're gonna play on the Plesher again, fingers crossed. Or you know, hopefully they get upset. I wouldn't mind that at all. I wouldn't mind them getting upset, whoever they play. But um, but regardless, you know, the road goes through Penn, even if it's technically a neutral site. Mm-hmm. It's not Penn Banners. The road, as we said before, the road goes through Penn. Yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, the bench scoring was definitely kind of a skewed statistic because he threw in all of his seniors to start the game. 
And so, of course, it's going to be a good game when you're bringing Ryan Bentley and Antonio Woods and Max Rothschild off the bench. Um, but definitely, like, great stuff there because we were all wondering beforehand, could they beat Harvard? And, you know, was Harvard, like, this team that was so much better than Penn? And they proved that that's not the case. And, you know, I think that they, you know, grinded out a really tough win, and that bodes really well for them in the Ivy League tournament coming up. It's just interesting to think about how this game had it been played two years ago, this would have been like the de facto Ivy League championship, basically. I mean, if, if all things played out as we expected, so it's just like, it's just interesting to think how the tournament benefits the league, but in this case, the tournament doesn't really benefit Penn in the way that it would have in years past. We were so thankful for it last year. <laughs> oh my God, we finally yeah. something to play for. <laughs> now, now, now we're the best team in the league as of right now. We're like, no, why does Columbia get the play? They're bad anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was very encouraging, though, to see A.J. go for 17 and 12, 17 points, 12 rebounds, because Penn needs him. They need him to be great like that, and, you know, for them to beat Harvard, they need him to be great, and if they want to pull off maybe an upset in the NCAA tournament, they're going to need him to be great as well. So I thought that that was overall great performance for him. I mean, Seth Towns got his, but they really defended Chris Lewis a lot better. Who He's one of the other... Uh, one of their super sophomores, a four-star recruit, and he torched Penn last uh, last game, I believe, for about 25, and we held him to nine and, uh, and three rebounds. So he had, he had a relatively marginal impact on the game, and so that's encouraging to see because they've also gotten torched by uh, power forward Stone Gettings from Cornell. So to see them start to defend the power forwards a lot better, it's encouraging. Um, and I'm sure they'll only get. I'm sure they'll continue to get better because, you know, the limit has. I don't think the limit's been reached for this team. You know, I'm not. You know, they're no national championship favorite, but if they keep playing like this, they could really. They, you know, they're looking like an Ivy League favorite, and hopefully, an up an upset in the tournament coming up. Right. Uh, yeah, it's. It's interesting. I'm just looking at. Um, one thing that jumped out to me from this game, just as far as, you know, uh, defense has been a strength of this team the whole season, and, and uh, Harvard really didn't shoot that many threes. So I have to say that I was not at the game, so if anybody who was there has any comments on, on anything they saw relating to this. But they didn't really shoot as many threes as they usually do, even though they shot almost 50% from beyond the arc. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, with the potential rematch, if that's something that um, they're going to adjust they play us again um you know the it's funny so so when they beat us they shot even fewer threes um I, you know i i don't know does, does anybody who was there have any any thoughts on why uh, harvard could use wendell carter jr that's all i gotta say <laughs> has been reading the news uh it's you know it's unclear the circumstances that led him to choose duke over harvard besides you know better basketball program pro prospects etc but all jokes aside um I think, I mean, they've always been strong defending from the perimeter. Uh, they've, you know, for all the flack, you know, maybe the guard, especially sometimes Foreman and Woods may struggle offensively, um, but their defense is always there. You know? right. There's a reason why, even though I think Caleb Woods kind of come in as our clear, like, third best offensive player, it seems like, behind Betley and Broder, you know, I think this is why you still start the two guards, Foreman and Woods, because they have a better all-around game, and that comes with how they defend. Um, I mean, I agree with that because when you have the shooters that we have coming off the bench and Sam Jones, Caleb Wood, like you guys are t- like you're talking about, 
those guys are so good at shooting, there must be a reason that they don't start. And I think a lot of that reason is the defensive abilities of Foreman and Antonio Woods. So I think I think that's definitely something Donahue's totally cognizant of, and I think he's really giving a defensive focus this year. Well, even in the article and the profile that we did on Foreman, he said that defense is about effort, and he just wants to give more effort than the other guys do on the team, and he just he's wanting to put that work in. So you, you totally see that 100. percent Yeah. Um, so now just uh, looking at some some other big wins um, that that Penn Athletics had this past week. You know, a kind of historic win, and and uh, the reason that that Brevin's joining us today. Um, Brevin, talk to us a little bit about what Penn men's lacrosse, the, their win over number one ranked Duke. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I mean, Duke to beat Duke any year I mean, is just a ridiculously great accomplishment. I mean, under John Donowski, that program's been. I mean, when you think of college lacrosse, you think of Duke, Hopkins, Syracuse. You know, and between the men's and women's team. We took down Hopkins and Duke in the same in the same weekend, which is incredible. But this year, especially, Duke brought Duke brought almost their entire offense back. This mm-hmm. was supposed to be the year they're they're supposed to really, really be dominant. And I think they were a good team. It wasn't like it wasn't like Penn they played still Duke. Be dominant. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like Penn played Duke on a, like a bad day or something. Duke brought their game. Penn brought their game. And I think the reason that Penn was able to pull out this victory, I mean, you have guys like McGeary's going to get his. Matthias is going to get his, but it's like it was the in-between guys. It was like Chris Santangelo at the face-off, mm-hmm. totally grinding it out. And with college across the way it's set up now, and this could change in the next couple of years with a shot clock, but face-offs are everything. And Chris Santangelo, I think it was like 17 of 22 from the X. I mean, he really worked them all game long. And then you have guys like, I mean, Connor Keating's an All-American. Justin Gutterding for Duke, maybe one of the best top six attackmen in the country. Connor Keating, long sit for Penn, best player in the field that day. Wow. Off the, I mean, off the wing, off the faceoff, it was just, it was incredible what he's do. Two assists, guy, guys, he's known as a shooter. When he comes down, he's gonna shoot, and he found, and he found Kevin McGeary right off the faceoff on a, on a fast break for the game-winning goal, and was one of the best drawn-up plays, best design plays I've seen this year. And then he had guys like Mark Evanchik, the sophomore defenseman. He was on gutterding all game, didn't give him any space, knocked the ball to the turf a couple times. I mean, the whole team was really there. And I think it was the between the lines play that really, really was mm-hmm. was the difference. And so, uh, how do you kind of view this in the context of the rest of the season? Like, it, yeah. uh, is this a flash in the pan, or is this are they going to be able to continue this high level of play in, into the rest of the season? You know, it's still early, yeah. obviously. You know, it's hard to tell for a couple of reasons. I think one, the Ivy League, the way it's situated, we the Ivy League starts a couple weeks later than these other teams. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's harder in the sense that. You know, you get le- you get less time to prepare. You're playing. You have fewer days of practice. You're starting later, so like that affects a team like Yale, who started one and three last year and then went on a run and became one of the best teams in the country. But at the same time, the other teams have less opportunities, to, fewer opportunities to scout us, right. which I think is, is something to be said. But and another and, and historically speaking, under Danowski, Duke's always had a couple losses in the beginning of the year that you're a little unsure of. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to take results-wise. This means, well, we beat Duke. That means we'll beat Penn State, we'll beat Villanova. I don't think it really means that, but it means that we can play with any team, I would say. And it it wasn't a fluke game. There were a couple pipes that Duke hit at the beginning, but we really battled with them pretty even from the first quarter on. Mm -hmm. So I I think it shows that Penn will be there in the Ivy League. I'm not necessarily saying that they're the favorite over Yale because 
Yale's roster is one of the best I've seen them have in a long time. But I think Penn's right there as a team that can beat anybody. But I don't think that means they'll they can't lose to anybody either. Do you think that it's possible that Duke took the red and blue a little too lightly this weekend as well? You know, I think it's hard to say because I think that's something that you can look at and feel like, oh, maybe they did that. But I also, it's hard, I feel like once you're in the game, I know Coach Danowski, I and mean, Coach Danowski's a professional. He's one of the best coaches in college across. I can't imagine that he would have his team being anything less than as prepared as possible. I think it really was a couple, like, I think it's hard to prepare to be, if you can't win face-offs, it's really hard to win in college lacrosse. And the way Santangelo played for Penn, Duke couldn't really win face-offs. So I don't know if it's that they weren't prepared, but I think Penn had their A game. Duke maybe had their B-plus game, mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, I've followed college lacrosse for a long time, and this game's a huge positive for Penn, but it doesn't actually say anything about Duke, per se. Uh, you know, you teams don't actually run the table in college lacrosse, and it's not... and. Penn isn't one of those, pro- you know, it'd be one thing if they lost to one of the lower Division One teams, like a Detroit or yeah. BMI, but Penn, you know, they might not have, they might not have this sort of historic history, historic tradition when it comes to lacrosse, but they haven't been an historically bad program. This is a program that you could reasonably see them knocking off a blue blood once in a yeah. while, and mm-hmm. not taking away from this year, but this isn't something that's like, it was unexpected for sure, but it's not unheard of. No, yeah. yeah. This is this isn't one. There's been bigger upsets in Penn sports in Penn sports and college lacrosse. Yeah, and I think like the I mean the college lacrosse landscape recognizes that. I mean Duke lost and they dropped to number three in the country. So it's not mm-hmm. like this is a loss that means it doesn't take anything away from Duke. It's really giving all to Penn. I mean Penn jumps to 14 in the country, even with going one and one in the league and moving up to 14 in the country. That's that's a pretty good week right. as far as Penn's concerned. And even in that Maryland game that they lost, they lost to Maryland earlier in the week, I believe on Wednesday, before they played Duke and Maryland's the reigning national champion, they lost pretty handily, but I think the shots were pretty even, maybe 19 to 19. Show, show, really shows you that Penn's right there, and not saying that all quality of the shots are the same because they were in Maryland, got some, got some better looks, but Penn is definitely there, and, and these guys, they do recruit from the same area, so it's not like Duke's getting these caliber of players that Penn can't get. Duke might be getting five of those players to Penn's two or something like that. Sure. But Penn's, Penn's right there as, as a team. It's not like, you know. And for those who don't know, it, with lacrosse, it's, you have basically your hot spots. You have Long Island, Boston, Philadelphia, and Maryland. And, I mean... Upstate. Upstate New York. Upstate, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, they're, 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 Syracuse, Buffalo. I mean, the, the game's expanding. There's good players everywhere. But you have your five or six hot spots. And you're basically competing for the best players, a lot of them from the same sort of schools, you know, yeah, from the same sort of high schools. And so a lot of the top Division One teams are really going after the same players from the same high schools. And all it takes, you know, especially the win, like, to create some momentum, all it takes is a couple more of those guys flipping to your side during the recruitment process, and it could really make that much more of a difference. Because when you once you have especially with a lot of guys coming from the same areas and same high school, that's how, like, you know, that's how you, when you can recruit from within your roster, other players, other players from pipe from pipelines, that's how, you know, that's how you start getting more players in your program. You look, we ran a piece last year, Penn has two different high schools, just two high schools combined for 10 players on Penn's lacrosse team. 
on last year's roster at least. So and one of those high schools is Haverford, exactly. and that's where Penny has their best player, Connor Keatings from Haverford. Funnily enough, his whole all his brothers and sisters, his uh, his siblings, they went to Duke. They oh, played well. at Duke, so it just shows you that like you know you get one of those guys to your side, I and mean, we had the best player in the field. So it's just and Penn's right there as a program. So I think it's it's a great win, but it's not like. You know, it doesn't say anything about, bad about Duke. It's just really all about how good Penn was. Awesome. So uh, I think now would be a good time to transition over. We're going to take a look at, you know, uh, this may have been the biggest upset, but it was not the only huge win or, or uh, you know, th- th- there, there, were, there were many other wins, including championships in this past week of Penn Athletics. So um, first, you know, women's track, uh, they won the first championship in, does anybody know how many years? 22. 22, yeah, 22 years. years. Um, so, you know, obviously a huge deal. That's incredible. Um, I know our DP Player of the Week was a, a member of women's track. So Abby bit, Hong. Right. Abby Hong, yeah. Big shout-out to her. Big shout-out to the whole team. Uh, nice job um, beating. I, I think Harvard was the reigning champ, so, so nice job taking them down and, uh, and, and getting a championship. Yeah, and men's track also had a pretty good showing as well. They ended up coming in second at the Ivy League Indoor Heps. And then, as Brevin mentioned earlier, the women's lacrosse team beat Johns Hopkins with a last-second goal. Um, so it, overall, just it was a great week, honestly, for Penn Athletics. There were a lot of great victories, a lot of, a lot of good things, and made a lot of fun to cover all of this stuff. And um, I, I know for certain that uh, the women's track championship was huge. I think that that was you know, a long time coming for them, and I think that that was a phenomenal accomplishment. Definitely. And they, uh, that was really a team, at, you know, that this is a necessity in any track championship that it's a, a team victory, but this was truly a team victory. You know, they had uh, a number of freshmen medal and a number of freshmen win points and, and just kind of across the board, um, really strong showing for everybody. So great job for them. Um, and uh, women's basketball, uh, we, we need to talk about a little bit. They, um, they had an all right weekend. Yeah, they uh, they dropped their first game of the weekend against Harvard, um, and that was somewhat of a bummer for them, I think. Um, I think they were really hoping to kind of come in to this weekend and sweep both of those both of those matchups um, just to maybe get some more momentum going into the Ivy League tournament. But they dropped a really close one against Harvard, um, come back and win, you know, the next game. Um but obviously you would have liked to see them come away with two wins on that Harvard-Dartmouth road trip. Um, they, still, they still clinched their spot in the Ivy League tournament, right? That's right. right. Yeah, they did still clinch their spot in the Ivy League tournament. Mission accomplished right there. Uh, and then they've got two more games coming up this weekend against Yale and Brown to close out the regular season. And so, you know, ultimately now there are a couple games behind Princeton. What do they need to do in order to make the NCAA tournament where they've been the last couple years? I mean, I think uh, getting their scoring going is, is really important. It's something they, they struggle with in this game. You know, um, uh, Alea Parker is the only member of the team that actually got to double-digit points even in this game. So, if you know, they, they've gotten good production out of a number of their players, but they are definitely going to need at least somebody, but, but probably multiple people to get hot to put up enough points to, to o- overcome. I mean, uh, let alone Princeton, but to, to even overcome the – the whether it's the two or the three seed or whoever they end up playing um 
they're just going to need to to put points on the board. You know, that's that's what it comes down to a lot of the time. And and they, their defense has gotten into a pretty good groove, I think. Um, you know, they held Harvard to fifty five points, a very low scoring game, but they really could not could not score in this game against Harvard, and and that's why they lost. Um, I mean, when it comes to the tournament, you know, if they're able to get their it become it comes down to defending probably the best player in the Ivy League, Bella Aleri. That, that's how you say it. I think it's Bella Allery. Allery. That's okay. how Pollock said it. Dad went to, her dad went to Duke, actually. Oh, really well, did ask Well, anyway, she's been putting up she's been putting up a double double all the games against Penn. Eighteen in both games, fifteen rebounds in the first, twelve rebounds. I mean, she's had some monster games. But, you know, we have a strong front court as well with uh Michelle Nuketti and uh Leah Parker. So I think it just comes down it comes down to a huge a huge part of that 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 front court matchup. I mean, you know, we have a former, in uh, Michelle, we have a former Ivy League Player of the Year, and, I mean, it just comes, it comes down to the battle of the strengths in a way, and Princeton's kind of outstrengthed us, that's a word in a way, uh, both, in both the matchups. Not a word? Yeah, my producer's shaking his head. No, it's not a word. <laughs> but I think, I think it's also important, I mean, Penn's really got to come off the bus ready to go. You know, they, they get down by 10 in the first quarter here, and that's not a recipe for success no matter what. Luckily, they won't have to take the bus in the Ivy League tournament, right. playing right here in Philadelphia. But I think it needs to be said they need to get going right away because the hot start, with their defense, if they get off to a hot start offensively, it's going to be really hard to catch up against them. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that's exactly what they need to do. I think that Aaliyah Parker and Michelle Wilketti have to have tremendous games. I'm assuming that they're going to be playing Princeton in in the – Ivy League final in the tournament in order to get to the NCAA tournament, right? And so what are they going to need to do? Those two need to be phenomenal, and I think that they need to be hot with their shooters. I think that Lauren Whitlash has to be making shots. I think that Phoebe Sturba has to be making shots. Ashley Russell. Ashley Russell needs to be making shots, and Anna Ross has to just be her normal, good-playing self, honestly. And I think that that's what they need. I think that they need to be not just good or average i think they need to be spectacular yeah uh and the bench the bench has to show up yeah five totally five bench points uh in the last meeting against princeton i mean you're not you're not going to beat a team that's more talented than you with just your starters i mean that's just how it is and that'd be i mean also like when you're looking at the harvard game i don't think there's gonna be another game where anna ross is three for 11 michelle keddie's there's uh Three for thirteen. Ashley right. Russell's one for seven. That's just seemed yeah. like all you know. A lot just of support, yeah, yeah, just a litany of errors there. Nothing, nothing to really take from that. I mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so now we're gonna make some predictions for um, for the Ivy League tournament because we will not be recording another podcast until we're back from spring break and the tournament has concluded. Um, so we're just gonna whip around real quick. Um, and you know what? Uh, unless anybody has any objections to this, why don't we get a prediction for everybody in the room? Get a, a, everybody on the record. Um, we'll start with with Carter Thompson here to my left. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's see. For the men, um, I think if they proceed to win out, that they beat um, both Brown and Yale this weekend, and then win the Ivy League tournament, I'm gonna put them at a 13 seed. That's what I'm gonna be on the record. Oh, predicting seedings, not picking, the outcome of the Ivy tournament. Well, I I think also outcome, but yeah. but you should also give a prediction. Even if you predict that they're gonna lose in the tournament, give a prediction for if they win. What seed do you think they'll be? It, 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 is that does that sound good? 
this for the men's team right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, for the men, I, I like them as a 13 seed. I think that beating Harvard twice helps their resume. Um, and I think that their overall record helps their resume. I mean, they've got over 20 wins. They're going to have, you know, somewhere in the range of 23, 24 if they win out. And so I think that you got a team like that mid-major, wins the Ivy League, 13 seed. Um, ultimately, do I think that the women's basketball team is going to beat Princeton? Um, I don't. Um, but if they were to beat them, um, I'd have to say they'd probably come in around like a 13 or a 14 as well because that's kind of where they've been all season. That's where, you know, the bracketologists have Princeton in there. And so I think that they'd be maybe slightly below Princeton if they were to make the tournament. Um, so, you know, obviously it's, this is assuming that Penn Basel wins out, but even next weekend I could see them losing um, their next matchup against Yale. I think it's possible, especially we're unclear with the status of Makai Mason, who people don't remember had two thir- huge 30-point performances in Yale's run when they beat Baylor and they almost upset Duke in that tournament two years ago. So you, you, I, you see Yale coming and clearly uh, kind of developing into this third dark horse team, the Ivy League. So if you, I think they're locked into about a 14 if they split this weekend but win the tournament. But I kind of agree, I agree, I agree with Carter that if they win out, they're looking at a 13. A 12, if they're lucky, maybe a team that got an automatic berth, that would have gotten an automatic berth and would have been ahead of them loses maybe from another conference like the Horizon, something like that. Um, if they would if they were to if they were to win out, they'd have the same number of losses that Princeton had last year. However, Princeton had Penn's had some bad non conference losses, you know, Fairfield, Towson, uh, just to name a few. So, you know, they they're not they're not they're not gonna warrant the same respect as Princeton got last year once the selection committee sits down. You know, assuming you know, but that's that that'd be a great problem to have. I just want them to win the tournament, though. I'm, I could honestly worry about seeding later. <laughs> Let's get by Harvard. Yeah. Um, so I, I think as far as just just predicting the outcome, uh, I I think Donahue's got them in, in a mode right now where they're they're really rolling and they're um, they're they're not gonna. They're, they're, I I don't think they're gonna drop one to Yale or Brown going in the tournament. I, I think they're they're gonna run through the last. The last four games they've got, um, but I honestly the the way it sits right now, I I think they're they're not going to be a thirteen seed. I I think running the table gets them a fourteen seed because we we beat Harvard, who we we lost to on the road. They come home and and we beat them. You know that that's a great win, and we're still at a fifteen seed. So, you know, beating them one more time, it, assuming we meet them in the tournament, is that really going to bring us all the way up to a thirteen seed or even maybe a twelve seed? I I, I don't really think so. Um, as far as the women, I, I, I you know, I, I, I'd love for them to beat Princeton, but I, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. I, I mean, I, I think they've kind of got our number right now, and um, that, that's going to be really, really difficult. You know, if, if they do win, I, I, I agree with what you guys have been saying, probably 13 or 14 seed for them. So I'm with me on the record. I'm taking the Penn women's team. So it's tough to beat any team three times. Yeah, that's true. And that's that's true. I'm... I'm a little bit with Sam here in terms of the men's team. I, I think Penn can, I think playing at the Plaster helps. I think Penn's going to win. I think Penn will win the tournament. I'm a little bit less optimistic about their seeding. I've seen, I've seen Penn in there, the Ivy League winner, as a, as a play-in game, which would just be ridiculous. You know, an automatic bid should mm-hmm. never have to play, do a play-in game, but that's a different question. 
I don't. I think Penn's a 15 well, seed. Well, to be fair, they had when Harvard was, when Harvard had the I saw. Break. I saw Penn as a as a playing game too. Really? Yeah. yeah. When they were slotted as a 16, they were in one of the playing. Which games. is just. Yeah. I mean, you should never have an automatic bid. Do a playing game automatic bid. You're automatically in the tournament. They can call it the first four all they want. It's a playing game. But <laughs> I'd count it as in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, it is technically in the tournament, but I feel... It doesn't feel it doesn't, the same. It doesn't yeah, feel it doesn't the feel the same. It's not in the same day. It's not in the bracket, it's not yeah. in the tournament. So, I, in the tournament. so I, think, I think Penn, they win their 15 seed, 14 seed at best. Right. And I think that comes... I mean, Monmouth and Dayton, those are good names. They're not really... The wins haven't stood the test of time in the way they would have in right. the past. Right. Um, I mean, uh, so... Producer Yossi is in the room. What we were talking about earlier, how, do you know what the number is? How many wins do we have against teams above 500? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but like if you go through the schedule, and a lot of this is just because so many Ivy League teams had bad non-conference yeah. slate this year, but I think Penn maybe only has three wins over teams that are above 500 overall. Because, um, you know, the Dayton win looked so good a couple months ago, and I think it's still a good win, but... They maybe have 11 or 12 wins right now. Dane's probably, if they're in the Ivy League, they're probably the best team in the league, but... Eh, maybe, but I don't know. Even so, like, Harvard... You know, the, yeah. the, the selection committee's not going to give any credence to... Oh, yeah, no. this team be the best And now, team. And now I know... I don't know too much about it, but I know now the selection committee is using this tier system yeah. where they rank your different wins. Like, a tier, win, tier one win is, like, either a home win over, like, a top 30 team or a road win over, like, a top 50. I don't know the exact numbers, but... I, I don't think Penn has any Tier 1 wins. No. We may not even have any two, Tier 2 wins. Um, so, yeah, I, I think most realistic is probably a 14 seed. I'm hopeful for a 13 seed, but I, I could also easily see a 15 yeah. seed. Oh, yeah. You know, if we beat Temple or somebody, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a different story. I think right. we needed to take care of a little bit more in the Big Five, other than Villanova, of yeah. course. I mean, I thought we did play well in the Big Five. I mean, I thought we played solidly. Uh, we lost a heartbreaker to LaSalle, gave Temple a run for their money, and beat St. Joe's. But you're right. We, we didn't get any marquee victories this year, and that's probably going to hurt us when it comes to Selection Sunday. Well, since we're in the business of making predictions and picking winners, it's time for the Hard-Nosed Athlete of the Week segment where we give an award to the athlete from Penn Athletics who had the most hard-nosed, gritty, and tough performance. So, Sam, why don't you, why don't you lead us off with yeah. what your nominations going um, to be? I'll start. Uh, I'm giving it, I'm doing back-to-back swimmers. Um, I'm giving it to Mark Andrews. You know, not only is swimming a really difficult sport, we, we talked a lot about how uh, Zach uh, DiGregori, our special guest last week, needs help with swimming, you know, and I don't think anybody's reached out to him to give him swimming lessons, so it, that offer still stands if you know how to swim. Um, Help the man out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mark Andrews, I mean, it, it, you know, Penn men's swimming did not get the outcome they wanted at the Ivy Championships, but Mark Andrews is just incredible. And, and you know, the, the, not only did he win, that's just sort of a given, he just crushed pool records, program records, personal records, any standing record book on – NCAA swimming is totally irrelevant, all right, because anytime Mark Andrews gets in the pool, it just becomes irrelevant. Uh, And you know what I think, what really makes him hard-nosed, you know, uh, above and beyond just being, uh, you know, a great swimmer is is, is this, and I I thought deeply about this, this segment this week. He beat the pool record at Princeton, which... Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it. It's such a baller move because 
He goes over to our rival school, and now they have to put his name up above their pool where they practice every day that says, Mark Andrews is better than anybody that you've ever had on your team at these two events. And, and that's hanging there until somebody can be faster, and I think it's going to be a long time until someone's faster. So that's pretty freaking tough. My question was, was it a big baller move? You know, and I think a big baller move this weekend was made by Chris Santangelo, the uh, face-off, face-off guy for, uh, for Penn Men's Lacrosse. Um, last week he didn't have one. He didn't have. He didn't have a great performance against Maryland. He went uh, six of fifteen from the X, and you know they ended up dropping that game. And then fast forward to Duke, and talk about him. You want to talk about hard nose? It's not just your physical play; it's your mental toughness. And the guy rebounded from a tough performance against Maryland to have one of the probably one of the best games of his career. He went fifteen of twenty-two from the X, and for those of you who haven't played the cross. The face-off X is probably one of the, it's probably one of the toughest positions you can do. I mean, it, you know, you might not be on the field a lot, but when you're going, it's like a full-out sprint. You know, it's like the, it's like that hundred meter, it's like the hundred meter dash in the Olympics. You're going all out for you know for anywhere from a, anywhere from a couple seconds to you know maybe a minute or two. But it, you're really going at it for for a long stretch of time for for a short burst. And he also played a big role, um, big role in the final goal, uh, helping you know win win the face off and get it to McGreary for uh, for one of his three goals on the day. And so you know a combination of his mental toughness, rebounding from a tough game, you know coming out one of the best games of his career against Duke, number one team in the country. I think it was a big baller move and warrants the hard nosed player of the week. Also, I'm just trying to get in the win column, or at least prevent Carter. Well, I'm going to win again this week because you're both wrong and Brevin likes me better. Um, <laughs> I like him a lot. Oh, so, is, is that how you've won the past two weeks? You've been networking like, like before the podcast? No, that's not true. That's fake news. <laughs> no, my, my hard-nosed player of the week is going to Zoe Bellado, the freshman on the women's lacrosse team. She had four goals in their game against Johns Hopkins, including the game winner um, to, for them to win. 12 to 11 tiebreaker with 52 seconds left she scored that goal and she's been phenomenal so far um coach karen corbett told me before the season started that she was expecting big things from this freshman and um she's been hard-nosed all season she was especially hard-nosed this weekend so she's gonna do it 100 percent for sure uh before we go i think one person warrants an honorable mention this person can't win because everyone gets their one choice but darnell foreman uh you know, coming out on his senior day, beating Harvard. Uh, he had a pretty big game, 14 points. And if you were watching the way he was getting them, he was driving through the lane through multiple guys. And, you know, a lot of other weeks he probably would have won. But this was a jam-packed week for Penn Athletics. And I guess he's going to be our first honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, not, I guess not, not a nominee, but an honorable mention nominee. But anyway, I'm going to see it to, Bre- I'm gonna see it to Brevin. I, I, think, I think it's okay that that he's not up here because, as we mentioned before, it is thanks to us that he had such a great game and that Penn men's basketball is such Jack, a great you're game. welcome, Darnell. Yeah. Well, all respect, everybody. Carter, I still like you. I still like you, man, but I have to give it to Santangelo. Woo! F- 15 of 22, right? And then the most impressive thing, 6-2 six, six and two in the fourth quarter. He had won six face-offs as the game was wearing on getting tired, and then like you mentioned, he had that beautiful flip on the run out to Keating 
who then dumped it to McGeary for the game winner. I thought his performance was the differentiating factor in an upset against the number one team in the country. And I, I once, once you said Santangelo, it was all irrelevant for me. He, he won. He was the hard-nosed player of the week. It's dub season, baby. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Carter. It's unfortunate. It really it's, is. I was hoping to go undefeated. You, you know what, season. what's really unfortunate is that this is podcast and not a video because the listeners can't see the big grin on Margolis's face right now that he's finally gotten a win for Hard Nose Player of the Week. Hey, you'll get your, you'll get yours one day, Sam. You'll <laughs> get yours. Yeah, Sam, next time I got you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week, Brevin. Thank you um, for offering your many great insights on all things Penn Athletics and especially on lacrosse. You are unmatched in your many knowledges of lacrosse, so thank you. <laughs> many, many knowledge. Many <laughs> Not just one knowledge, but, but many. many match Carter's English. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm having a struggle with this school, man. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough and you can't, like, form sentences. Yeah. <laughs> Next week on Penalty Box, how to survive midterm season with Carter Thompson. <laughs> yeah, too late. I failed him already. Well, uh, well, thank you again so much for joining us on Penalty Box. Thank you so much to our producers, Lauren Sorrentino and Joseph Weitzman. Uh, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks at the conclusion of the Ivy League basketball tournament and just in time to talk to you about the NCAA basketball tournament.